Well, good morning. It is great to be with you all this morning. We're going to be in Mark chapter 9, if you want to flip there in your Bibles. And um, I want to settle a debate this morning among you all that has been going around for, I believe, roughly the last 20 years. And it is the debate on who is the greatest. Everybody's always kind of having conversations. And so uh, what I figured we would do is, well, we'll come up with a scientific way to study this by presenting some images on the screen. And you can just go ahead and talk amongst yourselves. You don't actually have to tell me. But I want you to answer which of the three images is the greatest of we have different categories. I tried thinking of the audience and tried thinking of what you guys might Consider the greatest and be interested in. So the first one we have here, this is the debate that's been going on for about the last 20 years, is who is the greatest NBA player of all time? You have Michael Jordan on the very top, considered by many the greatest. He has six NBA championships. Twice he went back to back to back. Then you have LeBron James in the lower left-hand corner, definitely not receiving my vote, just on personal bias against him. Um, but he just... Is, became the first player in NBA history to score 40,000 points. So he probably is up there. And then you also have Kobe Bryant, who has a thing named after him where if you shoot something in the trash, you say Kobe and it'll automatically go in the trash. It's like some kind of miracle or something. So anyways, go ahead. Take some time. Talk amongst yourselves. And if you don't care, just don't pick LeBron. That's all that matters. Um, but no, okay. Uh, go ahead. We got the next one. Um, this is, who is the greatest tractor manufacturer here? So my brother works for John Deere, so I, oh, not tractor, sorry, I skipped one. Um, that's how good of a farmer I am, though. I thought these were tractors. Um, I'm just kidding. No, vehicle manufacturers, and if you ask me, Toyota, all the way, let's go import, let's not do this American-made stuff. So anyways, people have their differing views on that. Next up, is it now the tractors? No, it's still not. I'm going to get to my notes so I know when the tractors come up. But who is the best chicken franchise? Honestly, you're in a church, so there's only one answer. It's the one that's not open on Sunday so the people can worship their Lord. I mean, it's Chick-fil-A, although Cane's Chicken is pretty stinking good. Chick-fil-A just has the sauce that'll flow through heaven. It's the honey that Jesus said flows with milk and honey. Um, but I'm going to say Chick-fil-A. Uh, I do like me some good old Popeyes, and I've not had KFC since I lived in Coffeeville. So it's been quite a while, and I probably won't go back. So anyways, uh, next up, now we have tractor manufacturer. No. <laughs> Did you skip tractor manufacturer? Uh, my order is way off. Um, okay, so you got drinks. <laughs> You have, maybe I just didn't want to start a, like, actual feud and create a church split among farmers. So, but anyways, you have drinks, you got coffee. Top right is sweet tea. It might be hard to read the word sweet. Bottom right, unsweet tea. And then you have, for people who just like the same thing over and over, water. <laughs> Heather. So, <laughs> but best one there, obviously, I'm a recovering caffeine-holic, so coffee makes my list. But uh, if Heather has a cup... Her water is the best. So I like to drink out of her community cup that we have in the family. So it's free. The best things in life are free. So, all right, next one. I'm not even going to try and guess what we have now. Okay, beverages. 
Pepsi, Dr. Pepper. I know some of y'all are Dr. Pepper fans. My brother would say Mountain Dew. My mom would say Pepsi. Nobody in my family ever said Coca-Cola. Root beer. It didn't even make the top four. You can't just throw ones out there. All right, we got another one next. Man, where is the tractor one? All right. <laughs> How do you like your steak cooked? Do you like it rare, medium rare, medium? Obviously, there's some more options, but at the very bottom you have charcoal, and I only know one person that likes that, and that's JD, who is out in the foyer protecting us. Um, but yeah, rare all the way, and you cannot be rare enough, in my opinion. So, you know, they say cut off the horns, we won't say the next part, and put it on a plate. Just uh, serve it raw, raw, raw. All right, next one. We got a couple more here. All right. Um, I mean, so just saying, the screen doesn't lie. So um, who, who's the best collegiate team? If you don't see your team on there, there is a little dot that might be your team, but it did not re require the respect to have a big area on it. So um, anyways, but if you want to know um, who the best team is, the next image is going to prove because we converted some people to being Longhorn fans. Um, so there you have some of the biggest OU fans that this week didn't even realize they did it, but they made the switch. Photoshop is a wonderful tool of being able to change some things. So, all right, I think we might have like two or three more. So next up, pets. You got goats. I know we had some goat people in here. Uh, you got dogs. Uh, the bottom right one, we won't even talk about it, but it's the naked cat, and that's about as good as they get there, and then you have chickens. So, <laughs> he's got four of them, and his car. If you didn't know that Stu's car was not just a Prius with flames, they're wiener dogs that are flames. So next time you drive by that Prius, look a little closer, and you'll see some wiener dogs that have, are like flaming wiener dogs. Weird thing to say. All right, next one. This is probably the last one. We got food. Steak, bacon. I mean, the answer's yes to the top three. Sorry, Brenda, not the bottom right one. But <laughs> the top three, those are the way to go. Is that it, Jeff, or did the track? No tractors. All right, well, we'll stay at peace there. So anyways, um, as you can see there, uh, there is a conversation going on about who is the greatest. And as far as that goes, it's kind of subjective. I mean, everybody has their own opinion. Like, you know, for me, it's going to be the Texas, well, that's just kind of truth, though. Texas Longhorns are the best. But, you know, everybody has differing views on what the best is. And everybody wants to be the best. Maybe not everybody. Maybe you're not like, well, I don't want to be the best. But in some area, you are striving to be the best that you can be. And then so many people are giving up so much to be the best. I think it was maybe Mickey Mantle who gave up friendships to be the best at baseball that he could ever be. And they say six people showed up at his funeral. Now, I don't know if that's actually true, but uh, the, the concept is still there, that there are people who are like, I'm going to give up friendships, I'm going to give up everything so that I can be the best. And I heard it said a couple weeks ago that there's this constant war being waged inside of everybody. It's a universal war for pride. Because really, that's why we want to be the best, right? 
I want to be the best so that I can get the recognition, so that people know who I am, so that I will have arrived and I will have had purpose and I will have become somebody. I don't know whose kid that is over there. (laughs) He is wonderful, though. But the thing is, is that pride is the driving force in almost every sin out there. That pride is what leads us to sin. James chapter 14, verse or chapter 1, there's not even 14 chapters in James. Chapter 1, verse 14, James says, Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire, by pride. I want what I want. I deserve what I want. And so we allow ourselves to feed into it. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. This is where the first sin came from in Genesis chapter 3, where Satan comes to Eve and he says, eat the fruit. And Eve is like, oh, but we were told not to. And Satan's like, God is holding something back from you. And then in Genesis 3, it says, the woman saw that the tree was good for food, It was a delight to the eyes. It was to be desired. Why? To make one wise. Because I want to be like God. Because I deserve to be like God. He is holding something back from me. So I'm not going to trust God. I'm going to take it upon myself to be wise like God. So she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate. In John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 says that these are the things that are going to dissolve, that are going to disappear, be destroyed. He says all that is in the world. Notice the three things that Eve said. It looked good, it was good for the flesh, and I desired it. Those are the three things that John says are the ways of this world. The lust of the flesh, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. That pride leads to sin. So the thing about pride, though, is it is extremely hard for us to recognize in ourselves. Nobody is going to say, like, man, I am the most arrogant person in the world. We like to say, I'm so humble, I'm proud of it. That we think that we are humble people. So it's hard for us to see in ourselves, but boy, we are quick to notice it in somebody else. We are quick to see and want to point it out like, man, that guy is just so arrogant. And so we need to do a heart check among ourselves because James tells us pride is what actually causes division. He says in verse, chapter 4, verse 1, what causes quarrels and fights among you? It, is it not this? Your passions are at war within you that we want what we want. It's about me. It's about having my way. I'm what matters. And so I'm going to maybe ask some uh, difficult questions real quick. But how many times do we leave a worship service and we say, oh, man, I didn't like that music selection. Sorry, Kurt. Music is a hot topic, though. That we just say, you know, that's not really what I wanted to hear. We make it about us. How many times do we enter into a worship place and it's just like, man, I don't really like the pews. I don't like the walls. I don't like, so often we even come into here with our pride, with it being about what, all right, what do I have to gain out of this? And if it's nothing, I'm not going to come. 
It's not about us. It's about Jesus. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look this morning in, Matthew, in Mark chapter 9 as Jesus is going to give us this. You want to be great? It's not about you. That's what he's going to share with us. Three qualities of what true kingdom greatness is. So if you'll join me, we're going to open up in a word of prayer, and then we'll dive in. So Father God, I just come before you, and thank you just that we can get together and laugh. God, it's great to hear laughter in your church as there's just joy, and you are the source of joy. And so now I pray that as we get a little more serious and we just look at who you are and what you are calling us to be, God, speak through me. Open my mouth to speak your words into the hearts of your people. So we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So Mark chapter 9, verse 33, it says, They came to Capernaum, and he, being Jesus, was in the house, and he asked his disciples, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For, they, for on the way they had argued with one another about who the greatest was. And so before we dive into this, I want to ask you a question. How does the world define greatness? How does the world define or achieve greatness? And then make it a little more personal. How do you define greatness? And how do you try to achieve greatness? Because if, if it's the world, the way that I thought about, all right, this is the way the world tries to achieve greatness. The world says if they are somebody in your life that is holding you back from becoming great, you need to cut that relationship off. Don't have anybody among you that is going to weigh you down from becoming your full potential in this world. The world is also going to say, use people as objects. Use them as stepping stones. Try and do whatever it takes. Try to use and abuse and lie, cheat, steal. Try and work your way to the top. And it's okay if you use people to get there. The world also says, whatever it costs, being the greatest is the most important. Be all that you can be. Be the greatest. And whatever it takes, cut everything else out. Don't allow yourself to be held back. And then because I told him I was going to do this, if your name is Dylan Helwig, to be great means to make fun of your pastor on a weekly basis so that you feel better about yourself. Little backstory to that real quick. I'm going to keep you all till about 1 o'clock today. But uh, this morning, Dylan and I, we usually have our little playful banter. And so he said, you know what, I'm going to be nice to you. And I was like, really? And he was like, for five minutes. And I said, we have to be together for five minutes. I can't leave and you consider that being nice to me. So we sat down and he probably like a lot of people, thinks I only work one day a week and like an hour of that week, like right now, this is my one job right here. And so he always gives me a tough time about it. So I'm like lobbing up softballs. I'm like, what'd you do this week? Oh, I did a lot, Dylan. I was busy, you know, and he's like, don't say it, don't say it. And oh, also a criteria was if he made fun of me, I was calling him out in the sermon. So that's why this is happening because there is a penalty to pay when you make fun of me after you say, you got to be a man of your word, Dylan. All I'm saying. So anyways, I said that I came up with an invention. He said, it probably wouldn't work because you came up with it. Long story short, there you go. Anyways, how do you define greatness? How does the world define greatness? And so here we have these disciples. They're, they're in Capernaum. They go into the house, and Jesus is like, 
what were y'all talking about? And he knew what they were talking about. And in Matthew chapter 18, it says, finally, they came and said, well, we, we were trying to figure out, Jesus, who's the greatest? Because Peter, you know, he's one of the inner three. He was the one that was told that on him, the church is going to be built. Or on his profession, the church is going to be built. He was there at the transfiguration. He was the spokesperson for the three, for the twelve. Of course he's the greatest. And John is like, whoa, I'm the one that Jesus loves. It says it in the book that I wrote. I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. Of course I'm the greatest. And James is like, hey, hold on. John, you and I, we got two-thirds of the polling majority. We are the greatest. Like, there having this argument among themselves while walking in the presence of Jesus, the one who has done miracles, the one who has healed people, the one who has walked on water, the one who through him, they've been able to do great things, but they're not great themselves, but yet their pride. And I'd like to say this is the first time they have this conversation or the only time they have this conversation. But on the night that Jesus is about to be betrayed, again, they are asking Jesus, hey, Jesus, who's going to be the greatest? Which one of us gets to sit beside you in the kingdom of heaven? John and James send their mom to Jesus to ask, can, can one of my kids be, actually both of them because I don't have favorites, but can one be on your right and one be on your left? Forget about the other 10. It's about those two. They are seeking to be the greatest. But notice how Jesus responds in verse 35. He sits down. He calls the 12 to him. And he says, if anyone would be first, you want to be the greatest? You must, hum, you must be last of all and servant of all. You want to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus says you have to be humble. That's the first quality of greatness that Jesus tells us. If you want to truly be great, you must be last of all. Not last of the inner circle, not last of the 12. He says last of all. And you must serve all. Not just those who are nice to you, not just those who can give you a little tip on the side. You must be last of all and servant of all. If you want to truly be great, lower yourself. You must walk in humility. You must be humble. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 through 4, he says, You should do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but instead, in humility, count others greater or more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Jesus says, if you want to be great, you must be last of all and servant of all. You must humble yourself. Luke 9, or Luke 22, verse 24, it says, again, this is the part where Jesus is about to be betrayed. A dispute arose among them as to which of them was regarded the greatest. And then verse 27, Jesus tells them, who is the greater? The one who reclines at table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? He would be greater than the servant. And then he says, but I am among you as the one who serves. 
And then he goes on to demonstrate this in uh, John chapter 13, where he rises from supper. He lays aside his outer garments. He takes a towel, ties it around his waist. He pours water in a basin, and he begins to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And then verse 14, he says, If then your Lord and teacher, if I have washed your feet, you also ought to wash at one another's feet. And so Jesus is saying, if you want to be great, you must walk in humility. You must be least of all and servant of all. And then Jesus goes on to say, let me demonstrate this for you. This is what I mean by being least of all and servant of all. And so it says, picking up in verse 36 of our passage, Mark 9, he took a child and he put them in the midst of him. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. You see, in this day and age, children were possessions. They were considered the lowest of lowest. They, they didn't even have rights that servants had. They were all the way at the bottom of the pecking order, and Jesus grabs them, which would have caught their attention, and he says, you must receive one of these in my name. You want to be great? Receive the least of all. Serve the least of all. And then he continues on in verse 38, or he doesn't, but John says to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following. Notice he doesn't say because he wasn't following you, Jesus. He says he wasn't following us. Yet again, John is still, Jesus just said, you got to be least of all and servant of all. And he's like, hold on, we're the, we're the 12? He's not one of us. He's not following us. So we tried to stop him. But Jesus said, do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who's not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. You see, John still hasn't got it. Jesus is saying, if you want to be great, humble yourself. Be least of all and servant of all. And Jesus says, true humility will do the simplest task for the lowest of person. He says that you will, even if you give somebody a glass in my name, you're going to be rewarded for it. And then he kind of runs with this theme. He's saying, all right, because you are going to receive a reward for the smallest task, he transitions to you're also going to receive a judgment for severe sins. And so he goes on in verse 42 where he says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And so the second concept that I see as we're going to get into it a little bit more, first one is Jesus says, if you want to be truly great, you must be humble. Second one is Jesus says, if you want to be truly great, you must be holy. That you are to live a holy life. Life. We are to live our lives in which people are drawn to Christ. That when they see how we live set apart, separated for Christ, it draws them to him not so that they want to leave and not so that they fall away. 
Think of, as we're thinking of like immature believers here, how many times they look at Christians and they see people fighting behind computer screens, being little keyboard warriors that are just shouting out truths and it's like, hold on, there's no context here. All you're seeing is Christians yelling at one another where Jesus says, I came to unite the body of Christ. I came so that you would live at peace with one another, but instead we have to shout at each other on computer screens, or we have to divide not over what scripture says, but over what color carpets are, over what style of music Kurt might choose, over what poor illustrations I might choose to use as the Texas Longhorns, and I'm really trying to draw a fan base here. You know, it's like, what, what, like, man, most, there are times where you separate, but a vast majority of the time, the church divides over the most trivial thing because it's about us. I didn't like that. And Jesus says, you must humble yourself and then don't do these things in public where people are going to see and immature believers are going to turn away because they're like, hold on, if that's what it's like, I don't want anything to do with that. So we are called to live our lives so that we draw people to Christ, not cause them to fall away. Because do you know what a common excuse that I hear people say, this is why I don't go to church? It's because of us. It's because of Christians. It's because of how we handle things. It's because we allow our pride, and I'm saying we, myself, very much included, allow our pride to drive things when it should be about God and other people. Jesus said, the greatest commandment is this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And he said, the second is just like it, love not yourself more than anybody else. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. And so the truth is, is that people will make assumptions about Christ based on us, based on how believers behave or Christians live before they'll even make any assumption about Christ. That they're gonna look and see how do God's people live in community? That's what I'm gonna make an assumption about what they truly believe. And a lot of times it'll draw people to Jesus if you're doing it right. A lot of times it pushes people away. And so we are called not only to live humbly, but also holy lives separated. And then Jesus goes on to emphasize this. He says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. If your right foot, or not right foot, if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet and to be thrown into hell. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes and be thrown into hell. So the question is, how important do we view holiness? How important are we saying, God, for me to be separated, to not live according to the ways of this world, but to live for you, what emphasis are we putting on holiness? Because Jesus is showing us right there, this is the emphasis you should put on it. You should surgically amputate it, and he's not talking about bodily mutilation because the problem is you cut off your arm, you cut off your eye, you could cut off both eyes, both arms, both feet, I'm still gonna sin. 
But what we do is we take such extreme measures to get rid of whatever it is that is causing us to stumble, to drift, to walk according to the ways of this world so that we can pursue after Christ. Now I'm gonna be a little honest with you. I knew I was preaching on this this week and I failed miserably at this. So I'm not coming at you saying you guys need to do this. I'm coming at you saying this is a struggle that this entire week I struggled with and I'm sitting here studying and I'm reading and I'm like, God says, cut it off. And I'm like, mm, I don't really want to though. God, if I'm honest with you right now, I, I don't wanna live your way. I know what your word says. I know your word is true, but no. And finally on Friday, I was like, okay, Remember last week, if you were here, 99 is a beating, 100 is a breeze. I was doing not even 99, I was like 50-50. But it's like, God, I'm done. And I took whatever it was, and I threw it, and I lit it on fire. And I was like, I'm not going back to that. I am done. I am living for you. I am cutting it off, and it hurt until it was done. And then it was like, oh, there's relief. There is grace. There is forgiveness. It was like, okay, God, from this moment on. So I'm not saying you've already done this, but what is it in your life that feels like surgery to have it cut off because you know it is pulling you from Jesus, but we're going to prioritize holiness over the ways of this world and our own pride and selfish desires. What is that? Because maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's you continually going back to that relationship and you say last time, last time, last time, and now it's the 50th time and God is saying, you know what, for you to live a holy life, you need to get out of that relationship. That you need to not be in that intimacy with that person. Maybe it's the thing you carry in your pocket every single day that causes you to chase down little rabbit trails and behind every click, you're hoping maybe I'll see something. And God's saying, maybe it's time for you to go to a dumb phone, not have a smartphone anymore. Texting and calling, that's all you need to do so that you can be in a right relationship with God. Maybe it's quitting your job. What, whatever it is, God is saying, cut it off because notice the words that Jesus says over and over in there. It is better. It is better to enter heaven without an arm, without social media, without your 401k, without whatever it is. He's saying it is better to enter the kingdom of heaven than to allow this to drag you away. So what is it in your life that you are needing to remove? Because Jesus said in Mark chapter 8 verse 34, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And today he's showing us this is how you do that. Deny yourself by removing it. Not sitting there and being like, I'm gonna hide it and I won't think about it because here's the thing, we are really good. As a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool will return to his folly. And I'm a fool until we get rid of what it is. Jesus says, get rid of it completely because we will find our way back. So how do we, how do we cut it off? Well, the first thing is you, you just get rid of it completely. The second thing that I noticed is you shine light on it. 
Ephesians chapter 5, verse 13. When anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. So we take this, this darkness, this secret thing, whatever it is that we realize this is causing me to not wholeheartedly pursue after Jesus, and we shine light on it. And so I brought people in. I was like, hey, I need your help. I, I need prayer. I need, I need help. I need accountability in this so that I don't come back to this. And honestly, I'm not saying a single one of these is easy because it took me five days to do these things where I struggled with it. But we have to realize, God, your way is best. Your way is right. As Psalm 18 says, your word is true. And so we trust it and we do the hard things. Because then Jesus goes on and he says, if you want to know if the sacrifice is really going to be worth it, because that's the thing, it's not small things. These are huge things that have a grip on our life. They're called vices for a reason. Like doing woodwork, a vice grip is something that is going to grab a hold and not let go. These things are grabbing a hold of us and not wanting to let go. But Jesus says, this is how you know it's worth it. He says it's better to enter heaven without fill in the blank. And then he says, then for you to go into hell. And in verse 48, he says, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. So what Jesus is saying is we can have temporary pleasure in quotations because it's not true joy. We can have temporary pleasure with eternal suffering, or you can experience temporary discomfort and have eternal joy. You get to choose which it is. You know, there's been people in this church that could attest to this, as I know some of the surgeries that people have gone through, where they have bad hips or bad knees or bad elbows, and they're just constantly walking in pain, and it is difficult, and surgery is the option. It's like you can keep living in this discomfort now, or you can go ahead and have surgery. And they say, I'm going to go under the knife. I'm going to experience the temporary discomfort because I know that going through that surgery will bring me longer lasting peace and comfort. And that's what we do in our life. We can look at this vice that has a hold of us and we can say, I, I want this temporary pleasure now. I want this temporary satisfaction now, which is going to disappear and it is going to fade. Or we can deny ourselves. We can cut it off and be like, that hurt, but there is an eternal glory waiting for me. Because Jesus goes on to say, we're all going to face fire. We're all going to face salt of some kind. He says in verse 49, for everyone will be salted with fire. The question is, when and how do you want to experience that fire? Because Jesus says that fire can be here and now, that we are being refined by fire in our faith as we go through trials, as we go through struggles, as, as we have the difficulties of this world. Or we can experience the eternal fire in which we say, Jesus, nope, it's not about that. It's not about you. I want what I want, and I want it now. And so we chase after those things. And Jesus says, be careful, because one will lead to life, and the other will not. And so Jesus is saying it is better to suffer in this world for doing good 
for doing the right thing than to suffer eternally for doing evil. And he says the sacrifice is worth it, that the eternal glory is worth it, that giving up our temporary pleasures here is worth the eternal glory waiting for us. He says in Mark 8, 35, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? And then in Matthew 6, 19, he says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. That we have an eternal glory waiting for us. And it is worth the sacrifices here and now that we make. Now, what I also want you to hear is that God's grace covers over all our sins. And praise God that this week, even as I was like, God, no, he was giving me grace. And that when I turned to him, there was still forgiveness. That he doesn't look at you and say, why did you wait five days to come to me, you idiot? But instead, he looks at you and he says, come here, I'll make it right. I love you. Tell me about it. Now let's walk through this together. Let's grow from this. Let's be strengthened on his strength. As Ephesians chapter 6 says, be strengthened in the power, not of yourself, but of his might. So we should emphasize and prioritize as believers living holy lives, knowing that we're going to fall short. But praise God that when we do, he's a God of grace. That Romans 8, 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But instead, at the end of that chapter, he says, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. So if you want to be truly great, you live a humble life, you live a holy life. And then the third one, and this one will be short. I realize we're going kind of longer this today. The third one is God honoring. That as you live a humble life, as you live a holy life, you will honor God with your life. Mark chapter 9, verse 50. He says, salt is good, but if salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Have the flavor of Christ in your life. So again, we said that as believers, people should be drawn to Christ, not pushed away from him when they encounter us. And so the question is, when you encounter people, are they drawn to Christ through you? Do they experience the flavor of Jesus in your life? Are they tasting his salt? Do they leave having a conversation with you like, man, there was something different about that person and it was in a good way and I kind of want it. Or do they leave a conversation with you and they're like, man, that guy talked ter about, terribly about everybody. He was negative. He was annoying. He was like his language. He lost his cool really quick. He, whatever, he wasn't generous. He was super stingy. Like whatever it is, are we honoring God in our lives? Because when people look at the way you live, it should bring honor to God. That's what we live for as believers in Christ. We live for him more than anything, more than the next paycheck, more than the, uh, the affirmation and praise of people. We live for him. That's why we humble ourselves because of who he is. 
because he is the one that is worthy of all praise. And so people should taste God in our lives. Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And then he uses light. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That they should see your actions, they should experience your, who you are, your character, your beliefs, that just your persona, and they should know about Christ through that. That, that they should have, even though he's never mentioned, even though it's a simple business transaction, there's something about God honoring in you. And they're like, man, that's somebody I want to do business with again. That's somebody I want to work alongside. That's somebody I want to have do whatever it is, be in a relationship with. You see, people need to experience Jesus in your life. Because here's the thing about holiness. So often, I feel like when you use the word holy, people think of one thing, sexual purity. But holiness goes so much further. Holiness is about your character. Holiness is about the actions that you take. Holiness is what you are called to be in every aspect of your life, that you are set apart in everything for God to give him the honor and the glory. In the things we say, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 4, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. That even the words out of our mouth, Psalm chapter 19, verse 14, I believe, says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, Lord God. And so the words that we say, it's the way even, not just what we say, but how we say it, talking about other people. You know, it's those, those little sins even that it's like, oh, that's not a big one. Like, yeah, I gossiped about them, but that's not that big of a deal. To God, it's a huge deal that we are not called to gossip, that we are not called to talk about our brothers or sisters in a way behind their back uh, different than we would say in front of them. And it also means you can't just use the, oh, I'd say it to their face, then do it. Like don't talk about other people behind their backs and then be like, oh, I, I'd say all of this to their face. Go, that's what Jesus says, Matthew 18. Go to your brother. Don't talk about each other behind each other's back. That we should be God-honoring in the things we say, in the way we say it, the things we do, how we live our lives, the way we handle conflict, the way we love, as Jesus already said, the least of all, and we are a servant of all. Every area of our life, we are called to honor God. You see, there's the struggle inside of us, though. That's great because it's like, all right, I know I'm supposed to do this. How do I do it? And Jesus goes and he shows us how. He says, lay your life down for your neighbor. That you should give everything to lift others up, ultimately to glorify God. And then he says, you want to be great? This is how you do it. 
But then I love Luke chapter 10, verse 20, where it's like, all right, I've arrived. I am the lowest person on the totem pole. Yippee. And Jesus says, don't even rejoice in that, though. This is what you rejoice in. Rejoice in the fact that your name is in heaven, that your names are written in heaven. So even when we get all the crowns that we're going to receive in heaven, those aren't even worth rejoicing over. Instead, it says that the elders take off their crowns, they lay them at the feet of Jesus, and it's like, I'm just happy to be here in your presence. We rejoice in whose we are, in the greatness, not of ourselves, but in who Jesus is. Last thing I'll say, when you put Christ where he properly is and we understand who he is, these things will come. That we will realize, all right, Jesus, he gave it all. He did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, so that I could be eternally with him. And so I'm going to, I can't have pride. How can I have pride when I'm looking at the cross, which says there's absolutely nothing you can do to be right with God, but only what Jesus did. That humbles you. And also, I can't live in sin whenever I look at the cross and I fix my eyes on it and I see that the the blood of my Savior was poured out because of the sins that I've committed. How can I keep on sinning when I realize that's what put Jesus on the cross? Ephesians says that because of these things, the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience because of the sin. How can I keep living in that so I live a holy life? And then when I look at the cross and I see everything Jesus did for me, how can I not just give God honor in everything? How can I not live for him? And so the solution to all of this is fix your eyes on the cross. See who Jesus is. Grow in your love and your walk with him. And then he'll give you the heart change. He'll do the work inside of you. He'll make you humble. He'll give you the strength to be holy because that's actually the work of the Holy Spirit. It sanctifies us. And then he'll work in our hearts so that we just give him honor in everything. God, we praise you for the grace that you've given us even when we fall short. Even when, God, the honesty of our hearts is that we totally reject what you have to say. And yet you take us back when we turn to you. And so, God, I pray for everybody in here, anybody that might be listening online, God, that we would just see pride in our lives and surrender it over to you. We'd see sin in our life and give it to you. And God, that we would see areas where we are not honoring you and surrender those to you. God, I just pray that you do the work that only you can. Send your Holy Spirit into each one of our hearts to convict us so that we just live for you more. It's in the name of Jesus we pray this. Amen. Let's stand and sing as the invitation is available. The Holy Spirit's moving this morning in this song, Just As I Am. It says, come as you are. We don't want to stay that way. I can tell you when I'm standing before that judgment 